Open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. We have had this morning some verses from Psalm 73, the last four verses where Asaph described his focus on the Lord as the strength of his heart and the only one he desired in heaven or on earth. And we have heard from Psalm 27, verse 4, verse 8, that spoke of the same theme, and that was to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple and to seek His face. And I'm thankful for that coordination by the Lord outside of man's coordination. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Isaiah 26 has some wonderful verses in verses 3 and 4. When someone needs to be shown the peace of God, these are two verses you take them to. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So when Asaph said, He is the strength of my heart. It's because the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. When David said in Psalm 27, He shall strengthen thine heart, it's because the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. I'm not here for verses 3 and 4, though. I'm here for verses 7 through 9. Isaiah chapter 26 is one of the many chapters of the book of Isaiah, describing God's recovery of His church from their captivity in Babylon. And I read in verse 7 about the righteous, the pious, the godly, who love the Lord that were recovered out of that city. The way of the just is uprightness. Thou, most upright, dost weigh the path of the just. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham and God spoke of the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And God would have spared those cities if he had found ten righteous souls. Just ten. There were thousands of righteous souls in Babylon, but the nation had sinned so grievously that God had punished them there with a 70-year captivity. And yet they knew that he who was the most upright, would regard their uprightness and would be very just in his dealing with them, and it would not last forever. And that is of great comfort in that seventh verse. So I read it to you again. The way of the just is uprightness, and there were thousands in Babylon living uprightly. Thou, most upright, dost weigh the path of the just." See, the just is walking in an upright way, but there is one that is more upright than they. And so because he is more upright than they, he is very fair and equitable in his dealings with those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 84 and verse 11. Now verse 8, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul 
is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. Though in the city of Babylon, and though being chastened under God's judgments, which were very fair, and his judgment right and true, they waited. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. We have been patiently in Babylon, waiting for you to recover us, waiting for you to show us your smiling face. And during that time, the desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. Their desire was toward God, toward his name, and to remember him again. So they were focusing on their personal fellowship and their personal delight in God while they were in Babylon, and they waited patiently through his chastening in their life. Verse 9. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me, will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. First half of nine is a description of desiring God. With my soul have I desired thee. Oh, the night is the best time. Psalm 4.4 Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. It is a wonderful time to talk to the Lord. There are no distractions in your bed. You can wake up in the middle of the night and think again upon him. And you can wake up again and think upon him a third time. And so the prophet here speaking on behalf of God's people, the ones that had been in Babylon, prophetically he says, with my soul have I desired thee in the night. That time of special communion with God when there are no distractions. And yea, with my soul within me will I seek thee early. I will get up early in the morning and keep right on doing what I did during the night. These are the people of God. These are the ones that he that is most upright sees walking in their uprightness and he blesses them. And then, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And by judgments, it's not just punishment. It's God's fair dealings with his people of chastening and then recovery. Chastening and then revival. And when that's visible and seen, it brings about righteousness and the learning of righteousness by the righteous inhabitants of the world. This is not all men, for the very next verse goes on and describes other inhabitants of the world that have no regard for God, no matter what is done for them. Because verse 10 says, Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly. That is opposite of what's just been said. So when it says the inhabitants of the world, it's only speaking of the righteous inhabitants of the world and primarily the people of God that came out of Babylon because verse 10 defies it as being anything universal upon all men. Because God's judgments are visible to them as visible to us. And they ignore them all. I hope the passage is plain enough for you to understand. But what I want you to see in it is that the last half of verse 8, the desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. And the first half of 9, with my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my soul within me will I seek thee early. And there in the last half of 8 and the first half of 9, we have described... Men, the upright, the just, the righteous, God's people, His church. 
and the attitude they ought to have toward him personally. They desired him. They desired his name. They desired his remembrance. They sought him in the night. They sought him in the morning. They sought him early in the morning before the day's activities choke out our seeking of him. This is our theme to know God. And so we start from Isaiah 26. Two weeks ago, we considered the glory of his word. And we're not considering the glory of his word today. We're considering the glory of him who wrote his word. A few weeks before that, we studied the role of a great cause in making great men. But this is the greatest cause of all, knowing the Lord God himself. Our study is more to whet your appetite for knowing God than it will be to exhaust the subject, though we will deal rather thoroughly with it. And every day that I study it, I want to deal more thoroughly with it. Brethren, we want to reject ditches of exalting doctrine over God himself, which is a ditch. We do not want to take our greatest pleasure in any doctrine or all doctrine combined. We want to take our greatest pleasure in him who wrote doctrine, decreed doctrine, and applies doctrine. But yet we don't want to make him so familiar to us that he loses his majesty. And so when we come into his house, let our words be few, for we are upon earth and he is in heaven. The Bible teaches principles about seeking and knowing God. And the brother that just gave us Psalm 27 reminded us that this is more than an intellectual duty. This is more than an intellectual exercise. And while the intellect must be employed to benefit the heart in God's religion, we want to find our heart in the matter. We want to rejoice in our hearts at the things our mind reviews and is reminded of. We want to get excited about these things. We want them to be the the joy and the light and the life and the pleasure and the delight of our souls. And it's a choice to do that. It's a choice. You don't wait for it to happen. You make it happen. By humbling yourself before God, Asaph went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and there he was reminded of certain intellectual things, but those intellectual things reminded him that his heart's desire could only be satisfied in the God of heaven. And there he found his heart's desire after being intellectually reminded of who the Lord was to him, and what the Lord was going to do to the wicked, and what the Lord was going to do to the righteous, including him. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm, to Proverbs, excuse me, the book of Proverbs chapter 14. We're going to turn many pages. Let's make ourselves an intellectual review with the intent of stirring up our hearts to know God and to delight in Him and to glory in Him. There's so much that could be said, and I don't want to take forever on this, and yet it is such a great theme in Scripture dealt with many, many times, I also don't want to too quickly pass over these things. Right now, I want to consider some principles for men to benefit by knowing God. The first of which is to fear God. The better you know Him, the more you'll fear Him, and the more you'll, you fear Him, the more righteous of a life you will live. Proverbs fourteen twenty seven says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. To depart from the snares of death. Look at that verse. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. You know, we waste time in our lives learning about a man chasing the fountain of youth. The fountain of life is the fear of the Lord. And it leads us to depart from the snares of death. 
How do we get the fear of the Lord? Stand in awe of Him. I could turn you to verse after verse after verse where it says that Israel saw the glory and the power of God in judging sin or in manifesting God in some glorious way in Israel. And it says, and they feared the Lord and they feared His servant Moses. And so we want to know God so that we fear Him better. And that fear is not a slavish fear. It's not paranoia. It's not running and hiding in the trees of the garden. It's running to Him and repenting, knowing that He is faithful to forgive us all our sins. It is a fear of displeasing Him. It is a desire to please Him. It is keeping His commandments. And so there is a principle that is precious, that is broad, that is addressed many times in the Bible. I give you one verse for it. 1427. And I could turn you many places. The better you know God, the more you'll fear Him. The more you'll fear Him, you will find the fountain of life. And when you find the fountain of life, you'll be spared from the snares of death. That is a blessing, brethren. That is a benefit of why we want to know God. And the more we get into His Word and we see the personal dealings with Him and we see His fury upon the wicked, it should humble us and cause us to hate sin as much as He does. Turn back a few pages to... Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. The fear of God which depends on knowing Him is the beginning of wisdom. Do you want to be wise? You should want to be wise because our God is the only wise God. And for you to know Him and for you to act like Him and for you to please Him and for you to be like His Son, you need to learn wisdom. Proverbs 9 and verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. If you want to increase in understanding, if you want to get started on accumulating wisdom, to be able to share and show others the more perfect way of the Lord, it starts with fearing Him. The knowledge of the holy. We want to know the holy God as well as He has described Himself and revealed Himself to us in the Bible. For in the knowledge of the holy comes understanding. The men of the world, no matter how intellectually or intelligent-wise they might be superior to the people of God, they do not have this worldview, they do not have this God view, so they're always short in wisdom and understanding. Delight yourself in that, brethren. He's given you a key to wisdom and understanding. They don't have it and can't have it unless He gives it to them. He's given it to us. Let us rejoice in it. And let us want to know the holy even better. Because it's in knowing the holy that we get understanding. Understanding of the universe. Understanding of the world. Understanding of the phenomena in the world is by the knowledge of the holy. It grieves me. And it hurts me immensely. Every time I have to get defensive in this pulpit to explain something I have said or am about to say. I had to do it on Wednesday evening. I've already had to do it this morning. And do you know why I get defensive? Because you don't know the holy well enough yet. And I don't say that of all of you, but I say that of some of you. And so I always have to be afraid. I'm about to be misunderstood because they don't read the Bible rightly and they don't read the Bible enough to know how the holy thinks. 
And it's not by any superiority of, on my part. Trust me. Many years of my life have been wasted, but I don't want to waste any more minutes. And so we want to know the Holy Lord. Help us to know. Look at Psalm 147 and verse 11. Psalm 147 and verse 11. If you'll saturate yourself with the Word of God, you will learn to think like the Lord thinks. We have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 tells us that. Hebrews chapter 5 says, When for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have need of milk, and you're not ready for strong meat. But if you get into the Word of God and you learn the holy, you'll think like the holy. He's revealed His thoughts here. The revealed things belong unto us and to our children that we may do all the words of this law. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It's able to make the simple wise. Right here in the Word of God as He reveals Himself to us. His holy standards are different from ours. His judgment of sin is different from ours. I don't want to get off on the two points that I made Wednesday evening and this morning because I don't want you distracted, but I want you to understand that when I do that, it is very painful for me. And I wish I never had to do it. I wish that we had a common ground of understanding here that what the Bible shows is absolutely right. And as long as we're landing on a page of Scripture with what we're doing, it is the right thing to say and the right thing to do. Amen. Even though... The sentimentality of our natures may rise up against those things. I don't care about the sentimentality of my nature or yours when I'm speaking on behalf of God. If you speak to me in private, you will get a different set of words from me, but not when I'm his ambassador. And it will come off as being ferocious because I am tired of defending him. He needs no defense. His word needs no defense. I'm his servant. And until I say something wrong against the word of God, we should all rejoice in it and abide by it. Amen. I have sentiment on every subject. I trust. But I'm not going to let sentiment corrupt my worship of him. Right. Psalm 147 and verse 11. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him, in those that hope in His mercy. Unless we learn God well enough to know how much mercy He has, unless we learn God to fear Him, we can't give Him the pleasure that He takes. This verse to me, if you meditate and muse on it, this is, a, this is something my wife said to me last night. She said, you know all those verses... And the women now have over 200 verses on their blog. And the men are approaching 400 on their blog. Any one of those verses, if you take it and muse and meditate upon it, can be very productive spiritually. Look at this verse. And I'm not, I haven't singled this verse out. I will let you come up and flip the Bible open and stab your finger to page. And I'll show you that musing and meditating on any verse of Scripture can be profitable for your soul. Amen. But just this one right here to, so I can make the point and forget about it. Psalm 147 and verse 11, The Lord taketh pleasure. That should be mind-blowing to you. That this God that we are wanting to exalt and set up very high, because He is very high, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable, that God takes pleasure. Takes pleasure. God gets pleasure out of me Yes, 
The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear Him. You mean even though He gave us the fear? Yes, He had to give us the fear. But when we put that fear into practice and show it toward Him in worshiping Him, He takes pleasure in us. There's musing on the words, The Lord taketh pleasure. I want to make the Lord happy. When we were singing, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, we sang about Him dwelling in a light. Now, I don't care if anyone else saw it in here or not. As we got to that clause, as we got to the clause that He dwells in a light that no man can approach unto, the sun came out from behind a cloud and came right through that window right there. Now, you can go ahead and say, you see too much. Oh, you can say whatever you want to. He does that to me all day, every day. Right. When I'm fearing him and seeking his face. You say, well, I didn't even notice it. Well, that's okay. Maybe it didn't happen. But it happened to me. And listen, if it was only my eyes that saw it, I'm still happy. Amen. Did you think the same thing? We were singing about his light. And it came right through that window. And whether the sun shone any brighter at that moment or not, I know that his word tells me the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him. And I fear him this morning. And I want you to fear him with me. And I want us to fear him together. And I want you to provoke my fear to be greater by the things you say and do in your life. I want us to provoke one another to fear him more and more. Lord, have mercy upon us. There's Bible principles for the benefit of knowing God better. That's what we're looking at. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Yes, this is like a Bible study. Yes, this is turning the pages many times, just like Paul preached. And he would say, as the Scripture saith, and again, and again, and again. Try Hebrews chapter 1 on for size sometime. And again. And so we're doing, and again, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Do you want grace multiplied to you? Not added, multiplied. Would you like some peace? Not added, multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Oh, Anyone frustrated with what happened in Colorado in the last 72 hours? Anyone get a little frustrated at our government? And I'm not going to go too far, family. And our government wanting to give that rabid dog three square meals a day in a bed and a shower? I have a better solution. It, is, it involves what tree service companies use in a large piece of equipment that they haul behind a truck that carries away wood chips, and it involves pay-per-view television. But you know, when you get frustrated seeing a nation that doesn't know how to deal with any sin, grace and peace comes through the knowledge of God. Right. And see, that is one little hair's breadth on the scale of what grace and peace can do to your soul. Amen. Solomon said that wisdom is a source of grief in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. But do you know how you can get that grief assuaged with grace and peace? By learning about God that there is higher than the highest. And do not be discouraged by oppression in a province. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8, because there's a God that's going to judge. By the way, 
what I just recommended to you would make the survive the families, the, the families of those that were tragically slain all multimillionaires. You say that's a brilliant idea. It's nothing. God's going to have the last laugh, right. and His last laugh is going to be better than anything that any man can ever devise. The Lord is able to take us apart from the inside out and turn our lives upside down. And then we get to face the lake of fire. If we're wicked. Look at that. Grace and mercy being multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. The more you learn about God. Listen, there there are verses in the Bible where he's throwing down rocks and his fire is melting mountains like wax. And that's his glory and his power and his fury. And then there's other verses that are just as great where he's rejoicing and the whole world is rejoicing and he's finding joy in showing mercy to his people. And you learn all of it together and you get this balanced. And there's only one balance that counts. It's God's balance. I never want to find human balance. I want God's balance. But if you learn God, you can find that balance and find grace and Peace, and it can be multiplied to you. Oh, Lord, multiply it to us. Look at Psalm 43. Psalm 43, as Paul would write, and again. Psalm 43. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? This is a benefit from knowing God. And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him, who is the health of my countenance, And my God, if you truly know God, and if you know how He delights as the most upright in dealing justly with His children, like I read to you from Isaiah 26, verses 7 through 9, then you can understand this verse. The the word in this verse that I want you to grab is hope. The more you know about God, the more hope you'll have in your life. The more hope you have in your life, the happier you'll be. You won't be cast down. You won't be disquieted. You won't... Be all frustrated with the things happening in your life because you have hope based on the knowledge of God that you know He is going to yet be the health of your countenance and He is still your God and you will yet praise Him. I had fainted, we had read earlier, by an uncoordinated chapter with this one. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's exactly what's in... Psalm 43 and verse 5, it's hope. And where do you get that hope? By knowing God. By knowing that He is going to come. He is going to forgive. He will lift the chastening rod. He will bless us again. He will rejoice over us. It says that. Go look up all the verses. You're going to make me chase a rabbit again. Okay, Zephaniah 3.17. Do you know your minor prophets? Zephaniah 3.17. How can I have hope in that dreadful and terrible God of the Bible? Because he is our loving father to the children of God. And look, this is how he speaks. Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. I'm glad to know that. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in His love. He will joy over thee with singing. Hello? Is this Jehovah? Is that 
an all capitalized Lord opening up this verse? Is he identified as the God of Israel? The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Okay, is there any hope in that for you? What had Israel done? They were idolaters. I've had some say to me, why are there so many verses in the Bible about other gods with a little g? Because the church of the Old Testament was obsessed with idolatry. They likely worshipped idols for more years than they worshipped Jehovah, if you look at their 1,500-year history. It's horrible, that's why. But even though they lived that way, when they repented, look at his response. Does God sing? Well, the Bible wants you to hear God singing when you read the pages of Scripture. And what's he singing about? He's singing because he's casting his love and showering his love and rejoicing upon us by recovering us and forgiving us. Does that give you any hope? I should be hopeless for my sins. But I thank God for Zephaniah 3.17. I'll cast myself in that verse. And how do I get into that verse? By repenting. Just confessing your sins. What do the angels in heaven do, brethren? When one sinner repents, what do the angels in heaven do? That should give us hope. Amen. Oh, there's, there's so many things. Turn, turn to the book of... You're, if you're in Zephaniah still, it's not far away, but you're going to need some help getting there. It's Habakkuk, chapter 3. Habakkuk. Now this is a fabulous passage. Oh, it's wonderful. Habakkuk. Habakkuk was having some real problems. The people of God were being judged by the Babylonians. And so chapter 1, and I've preached this book to you, chapter 1 is Habakkuk saying to the Lord, it's not fair. Listen, I know we're bad. And I know we deserve to be chastened, but they're worse than we are. So how can you be showing mercy to the Babylonians while they're punishing us? And the Lord says, oh, don't worry about Babylon, because chapter 2 is all about what I'm going to do to them, and it's worse than whatever happened to Israel. But then we get to the end of this book. And I want you to know that some of these prophets loved music, and they loved praising God. So I want you to pay attention to everything that is said here as Habakkuk closes out his prophecy in the last three verses. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, we are looking for principles from the Bible of the benefits of knowing God better. And the better you know God, the more you can be in these three verses. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. 
to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Put this to music and worship God. Verse 17 has six clauses of total economic and financial ruin. Stick in there whatever you wish. Your health. Your children. Our country. Your business. Put in there whatever you wish. Make it as bad as you can. Because that's pretty bad. Six clauses in a row yet. In spite of that. Ignoring that. I will rejoice in the Lord. Not I will rejoice in heaven. Heaven is not the cause of our rejoicing. Not I will rejoice in the Bible. The Bible can give much joy. I will rejoice in the Lord. And it's a choice to do that. And it is by learning Him and knowing Him that we can do this better. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, although these things happen to me. So notice, it hadn't happened yet. In the the way that it's presented here, it hasn't happened yet. So this is preparatory work for it happening. So before those things happen, and listen, life is going to get worse before it gets better. So let's prepare ourselves for it by putting our trust in the Lord. So that when those times come, we're going to just keep right on rejoicing in the Lord and rejoicing in the God of our salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Was that in Psalm 73? Was that in Psalm 27? That the Lord God is my strength. And this is one of the chief texts I wanted to get to this morning. It's here in Habakkuk chapter 3. The Lord God is my strength. I don't care what family does. I don't care what the world does. I don't even care what the church does. If they're going to stand against God, I am going to find my strength in the Lord God. Now, if God will be merciful, we want the Lord God and our children and our church and our nation if the Lord will be merciful. But do you know how He's merciful? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. We get ourselves into this verse, and then we get mercy. We don't wait for His mercy to then get into this verse. We get into the verse now. So that when verse 17 happens, we're ready Because the Lord God is our strength. And He will make my feet like hind's feet. A female deer. Light of foot. Darting here and there. Easily leaping a fence. He'll make my feet like hind's feet. I won't be trudging around. Beat down. As the Bible describes in Hebrews chapter 12. He'll make me like hind's feet. And He'll make me to walk upon mine high places. Now Habakkuk stole these were he didn't steal them because it was by the inspiration of the holy spirit but he took them from the psalms where david used these exact words to describe being on the most pleasant lifted up places in on his estates with with light feet just rejoicing in the lord light-footed like a deer on the high places the best places you've got your heart filled with joy Because the Lord God is my strength. He's going to make me this way even though all these things happen because God is my strength. Let's sing about it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Look at Isaiah 58. We are looking at principles of the Word of God that tell us that knowing Him better brings benefits. 
And the reason I'm doing this is because I want to promote you that this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, in your bed tonight, tomorrow early before you have to go to work, and it doesn't matter how early you go to work, that you will seek Him. That you'll seek Him and know Him. That you'll delight in Him. That you'll glory in Him. There are benefits that follow for those that are walking close to the Lord. So much could be said from Isaiah 58. Many of these verses are wonderful. If you practice true righteousness, and true righteousness is described in verses 6 through seven, six and 7, then God's blessings are described in verse 8. Thy light shall break forth as the morning. Verse 9, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. God will say that to you. If you're living righteously in verses 6 and 7, if you turn away your foot from doing pleasure on the Sabbath, this is Old Testament rule in verse 13, but this is putting the Lord's things first. In the New Testament, look at verse 14. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. <clears throat> when you make His worship, these assemblies, the most important thing to you, and you don't do your pleasure when it comes to preparing and participation and praying for the worship of God, you don't do your pleasure, but you're seeking His pleasure by worship that's acceptable in His sight, God calls that delighting in Him. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. When you're putting those things first, God is going to bless you with glorying in Him, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And when God adds that, what is He saying to you? It is absolutely true, and you can take it to the bank. But he wouldn't use such ridiculous words. His words would be, For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. I will make you to ride upon the high places of the earth. What do I need to do? All of, all of chapter 58 is just like this. If you want another chapter to read about delighting in the Lord and the benefits that follow, it's Isaiah 58. We've already looked at Isaiah 26. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Verses 3 and 4. Look at these benefits from knowing God better. Did Job find some benefits? Did Job learn about God? Did Job get things doubled to him? Was Job happy in the end? Did Job get to be a mediator and an intercessor in the end for his three friends? I mean, what do you want to look at in the life of Job? Did, did he get to have a conversation with God and learn some things about God? Do some of those things still excite you 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 years later? Amen. Amen, they do. Isaiah. Did Isaiah, knowing God better and seeing a vision of him, have an effect upon him? Did it make him very guilty about foolish lips and wicked lips? Woe is me, I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Did it drive him to service? Who was the one that said in that chapter, Here am I, send me? How did that happen? Because he saw the king. If you see the king feeling being properly convicted for sin and wanting to serve God better is an automatic response if you take advantage of that lesson. And the reason we're in this study right now is for us to approach God's holy throne through his word and have that vision of him that it will convict us of our sins in a very sinful nation among a very sinful group of people who call themselves Christians. 
that we will say, woe is me and woe is us. And we don't need a live coal from off an altar because we have the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth us from all sin. And then we can say, here am I, send me. Whatever that sending is, whatever we need to do, we're willing to do it. Isaiah learned that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Did Paul have a past to worry about? It's a comfort to anyone else in here along with me that has a past to worry about. But we're not going to worry about it. It's been thrown behind his back. It's been buried in the deepest sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I thought God was omniscient. God in his omniscience and omnipotence declares of himself, I choose not to remember that. Is that glorious? Is that glory? Amen, brother. 2 Timothy 1.12. I'm going to go into the middle of the verse. It's not because I'm altering the context at all. I want certain words. After that colon, which is next to a period in separating grammatical sections, for I know whom, I know whom, do you know him? I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I have committed my soul and my past and my sins and everything I've done into his hands, and I know him, and he has persuaded me that he has plenty of ability to keep my soul that I've committed to him against that day. I'm going to be fine in that day because he's got my soul, and he's got a provision for that soul because look what verse 9 was all about. Who saved us and called us with a holy calling before the foundation of the world who then sent Jesus Christ in verse 10, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you know all those things? But it's not the doctrine that I want you to know today or last week or next week. It's not the doctrine. It's whom and him and he is able. Look at Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Oh, I want some mighty men to come out of this church to be in this church, to be great fathers, be great grandfathers, be great employers, employees, be great citizens, be great neighbors, be great church members. And if God gives them anything else beyond that, give it to them, Lord. But look at Daniel chapter 11. And we have our enemies. Our enemies are just different. We don't get to go cut the heads off of Philistines. But we all have giants in our lives every day of various temptations that come to us and challenge us. They could be, could be peer pressure if for you younger ones. It could be family. But are you, are, are you ready to rise to the occasion? The point I'm wanting to make here is about the Maccabees, and the point is that there are examples in the Bible. We've looked at Job, we've looked at Isaiah, we've looked at Paul. Here are the Maccabees. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Antiochus Epiphanes would corrupt the wicked half of the Jews 
and he would flatter them into joining with him against the religion of Jehovah. But, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. They feared no one. This was the mighty Grecian Seleucid dynasty out of Syria. They did not fear because they knew their God. And like we sing sometimes, He's just the same today. And He was just the same in their day. And by guerrilla warfare, a few Maccabees that trusted the Lord Jehovah defeated the Greek armies of the Seleucids. Praise His glorious name. I want you to know those words. And I want those words right there to provoke the men and women of this church and the boys and girls of this church to be strong and to do exploits. And how do you get strong? And how do you do exploits? You never take your eyes off of Him. God. Jehovah. The Lord God. That's right here. Them that did know their God. If you know Him, no opinion of man, no number of men, Though a host should encamp against me, in this will I be confident. Because you know the Lord. Praise His name. What are you going to do with this subject that we're dealing with? If you truly know God, it's going to change you from sinning to serving. And the more you take, if you'll take some time out of the 1,440 minutes you have a day, do you know how many you waste? Come to me any day. The day that you think you've worked the hardest, come to me. And let's find out how many you wasted. I have to do the same thing myself. How many can we pull aside and say, He gets these minutes every day no matter what. Because I'm going to know my God. Right. You say, I don't know what to do in those minutes. Then start down through 380 verses or 200 plus, and take one at a time and just muse on it. If you don't know how to muse, send it to me or call me with it. Take me, take me cold. And I'll show you how to muse on it phrase by phrase. There's power in God's Word. There's a blessing in God's Word right. for us. Amen. Many profess that they know God, but the Bible says in works, they deny Him. Titus chapter 1 and verse 16. There are many today who are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Is that you? We do not want to be that. Do you think God's going to reveal himself to someone who loves the pleasures of this life? Pick your favorite pleasure. It is dung in comparison to knowing God. Pick it. I don't care if it's a four-star restaurant in Greenville. I don't care if it's the world's fastest roller coaster at Six Flags over somewhere. It's dumb in comparison. I don't care if it's your family. It's dumb in comparison. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Lord, help us. It takes effort, brethren, but that effort will be rewarded. After Daniel comes Hosea. Look at Hosea chapter 6. By the way, and I thank God for this, though I have no idea about any of them, those men when I was 19 and 20 with whom I used to share Scripture and they with me, we ruled out Job and Isaiah because that's just too easy. We specialized in the minor prophets because to our shame, 
we had really never read them. And so to find jewels in the Minor Prophets was like finding jewels that we didn't even know existed. Hosea 6 and verse 3. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. When the rain comes and you're a farmer, it is a huge blessing. It is so necessary for the vitality and the nurturing of your crop. If we follow on to know the Lord, we shall know, and he will come to us. This is one verse of many. I'm tithing my outline to you. But brethren, it takes a little bit of effort. Are you following on to know the Lord? Every day when you get, I'm too tired, I'm going to sleep in today. I want to ask you a question. Are you going to sleep in and report late to work? Well, no, I would never do that. Why in the world wouldn't you go in late to work to spend time with the Lord? If you're going to sleep in, why not be late for a master on earth? You say there ain't a verse in the Bible that says anything about that. Malachi 1.6 Where's my honor if I'm your master? Where's my reverence if I'm your father? Oh, Lord, if you don't like to keep God in your knowledge, what does God do to people who, do, who don't like to keep him in their knowledge? Romans 1.28, he likes to rewire them. I don't want you to be rewired. Just say, God wouldn't do that to me. Do you know how many sodomites there were in the history of Israel? Many. Do you know that a tribe had to be wiped out once because it had become sodomites? What's the name of that tribe? Benjamin. God will rewire his people if they don't like to retain God in their knowledge. And if you think there is no prophet to delight in God, then you are like the wicked, scornful Job that drank up iniquity like water. You say, that's too harsh for Job. Well, that's what Elihu said, and I kind of like Elihu, and I think he probably had the right attitude toward the book. Elihu said, I've heard out of Job's mouth. This is when Elihu stood up, Job 34. I've heard out of Job's mouth that there is no prophet to delight in the Almighty. He drinks up scorning like it's water. So what are you going to do with this subject? If you draw nigh to him, he will do so to you. Look at 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles 28. Oh, I wish I could excite you, brethren. <clears throat> there are 24 hours in today. There are 1,440 minutes. Can you give a few to pursuing the God of heaven? To know him, to be persuaded by him, to delight in him, to seek his face. We've had Psalm 73. We've had Psalm 27. We've had a number of passages. Here's another one. This is a godly father to his son from his deathbed. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9. And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him 
with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. The advice was perfect. The compliance with the advice was horrible. And God cast off Solomon. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 11. Because his heart was turned away from the Lord his God. His heart was turned away from the God of his father by his outlandish wives. What a text. Know thou the God of thy father. And my children in this assembly, I cannot say anything better to you than that. Know thou the God of thy father, and of thy father's father, and of thy father's father's father. Know him. And my nieces and their friend. Know him. And serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. If you seek him, he'll be found of thee. Second Chronicles 15. Solomon gifted so much. Blessed so highly. Had the kingdom rent away days after his death. The only reason two tribes were left were not because of Solomon. They were because of his father, David. Second Chronicles 15, verse 1. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. Asa's got himself a problem. It's the largest army in the in the history of the Bible, facing him. One million Ethiopians in chapter 14, the last 10 verses. Verse 1 of chapter 15, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And this prophet said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if he seek him, he will be found of you. But if he forsake him, he will forsake you. That is so comforting to be facing an army of one million. I've been in Michigan Stadium, the largest stadium in this country, in Ann Arbor, and seen 107,000 in those days crammed into one stadium, and it's quite a multitude of people. And yet here's a million Ethiopians and their intent is not to cheer with you or to cheer against you. Their intent is to take your scalp. And yet the Lord says, if you're with me, I'm with you. You say, that sounds conditional. God's practical dealings with us ordinarily are conditional. And if you seek me, you'll find me. And if you forsake me, I'll forsake you. And I want to tell you before a million Ethiopians, if God forsook them, they were toast. And if God was with them, the Ethiopians were toast. And you can go ahead and read the account yourself as part of your devotionals this day that there's a God in heaven. what, What words do you think I want out of this second verse? Are you with me so that you know my point? If ye seek me, if you seek him... He will be found of you. Just like David said to Solomon. He'll be found. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. 
My brethren, a sermon ends. There are consequences consequences to your choices. Are you going to know him? The benefits are enormous. The chastening and the punishment is severe. The pleasure derived from knowing him exceeds everything else on earth. Grace and peace being multiplied to you and the other things that we've been over, it is win, 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 win to know the Lord, to inquire in his temple, to behold his beauty, to seek his face, to learn more of him, to humble yourself before him, to muse on his word, to muse on his works, to remember the things that he has promised to us, to delight in him, to see his severe side, to see his gentler side, to see his holiness, to see his goodness. It's all in the scriptures. We've singled some verses out for you this week. Go and muse on them. Take a few minutes. Get down and open your heart up to the Lord and tell him you love him and tell him thank you for creating you. Thank you for saving me. Don't make it a dry, boring, intellectual exercise of your intelligence, but rather one of your heart that that results in tears, that results in singing, that results in shouting, that results in praising, that results in a heart that can't express itself enough. He hears it. If you can't get it to the surface and make it sensible, Sensible, he hears it well and loud and eloquently. Praise God for the Holy Spirit who's in us and witnesses to us that we are the sons of the living God. Amen. Amen.